Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I know you. I know you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it, remember that? You told me it's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 58 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And usually I next say Will Mavity, but Will is not here this weekend. Instead, we are being joined by a guest. She is known on Twitter as Vidichik, but her real name is Deanne Kiazeze. Uh, you can call her Deanne D. 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 Why don't you introduce yourself to everyone and tell them what you think they should, they should call you exactly? <laughs> <laughs> call yeah, us I, by your name. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, Deanne is my my name for sure, but I go by D. Um, I'm married an Italian, so my last name is Chiazzese. It's not very radio friendly, so I go with D. Chia. It works a little bit better, um, and it's easier to find on Twitter, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a fan of the show. I've been listening for the year that you, well, just just had your year, right? Yeah, we did. Um, and, yeah, and um, I'm this is a thrill for me, so thanks for having me. No, we really, really appreciate having you on for sure, and we're very, very lucky to do so. Uh, I usually, when we have people on for the first time, I usually tend to grill them with questions, so <laughs> I'm going to do that for you right now. I'm going <laughs> to ask you the big one, which is usually the most boring one. What is your favorite movie of all time? Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I hate answering this question. It's such a weird question because it always changes for me. It, it always does. That's where I'm at, too. So, you know, I would say that would have been an easier question for me to answer when I was maybe not as much of a film nerd as, as I am now. But um, I'm so I, I have such a hard time with people who are aren't kind of um, taking in what's being done in movies now or say that, hey, you know, it's not as good as it used to be, all of that good stuff. And so because of that, I have a really hard time because I certainly have some all-time favorites. I have movies that shape me at different times in my life for different reasons, for nostalgic reasons, whatever that may be. But if I'm talking about, you know, kind of quality of film, I like to focus on sort of what's happening here and now. Obviously, I 
was uh, based on my uh, website name. I am a huge, huge fan of La La Land. I, I own it. I love it. I mean, I own it in the fact that I am a La 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 fan, not that I own it. Um, <laughs> We're already friends. <laughs> I was going to say, you and Michael are going to get along yeah, great. <laughs> in fact, that's what actually really inspired me to start doing, um, talking about movies and podcasting. I saw it on New Year's Day, kind of late last year, and I was so inspired. I went right home. I recorded my first ever podcast. It was my top 10 of 2016. Just did it in one take and gushed about La La Land at the end. And that was sort of um, what got me here today. So I obviously have to recognize that. And then obviously as a kind of compliment piece to that, I loved the movie Whiplash. That was kind of a turning point. That year for me, Whiplash and Nightcrawler both, I was inspired by both of those movies. Um, and they would definitely probably fall in my current top 10. So that's as good as I can get you. I'm not going to say my favorite of all time. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we, we see that you definitely have a crush on Damien Chazelle, which is okay. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Did you see on Saturday Night Live they had Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone on last night? Yes. I. It is. Yes. It's in. It's in my DVR, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, they they had a lot of fun talking about La La Land. Oh, I can't wait. Well, one of my favorite skits from last year was the Aziz Ansari when he's yes. being interrogated <laughs> about you know La La Land versus Moonlight, <laughs> and and the, the cops are like, well, you know, Moonlight, it's going to be a whole thing. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love that. So it's like, it's I, anyway, a good I can't movie. wait to see. It. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The La La Land Moonlight debate is something that is never going to go away. It's really never going to go away. Those two films are just tied at the hip forever. <laughs> Everyone likes the two movies, but you obviously have like people who prefer one over the other. I mean, like, even this year, uh, you know, the fact that Nicholas Bertel scored Battle of the Sexes, which also starred, like, Emma Stone and had all these other production people from La La Land involved, I'm just like, to me, it's like, uh, what is it, they call it the Six Degrees or Nine Degrees of Kevin Bacon or something like that. I feel like <laughs> yeah. the two and the people who worked on both are just forever going to just be tied to one another <laughs> for the rest of their careers. Until um, Barry Jenkins and Damien Chazelle co-direct. Stop it. Stop (laughs) it. What if they did like a mini series on television together? Wouldn't that be something? Oh, that'd be crazy. (laughs) I hope Netflix is listening. Yes. Um, Speaking of stuff that you watch at home, by the way, um, Deanne, I I think I'm going to just call you Deanne. It just seems to be rolling off the tongue for me. That's uh, fine. (laughs) Uh, I might call you D when I'm like angry. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We have some things to argue about. I know. If you've listened to the show, you know I get very passionate sometimes. So, Um, what have you been watching this week? Did you see anything at the movie theater at all? Did you catch up on anything? I did. Yes. So um, last night I saw Battle of the Sexes. I was. Really excited, anticipating that one for sure. Um, I heard your interview too. I thought that was great. Um, and the Thank music you. in that was was lovely. So um, I was glad to know you were doing it going in. So I paid special attention. Um, but um, I, I liked it. You know, I really expected to be head over heels. I, you know, sometimes you see something, you go, oh, "This is going to be for me," and um, I I really liked it, but um, I didn't love it. And I think. I've been trying to figure out why, um, and I would think that the biggest reason that I can come up with is it's just there were elements of it that were really great, and then there were some other pieces that sort of needed to be there, like some of the Steve Carell stuff and some of that relationship dynamic with his wife and son that I guess needed to be there, but it just wasn't the parts of the movie that I loved. So I think there was definitely like a tonal imbalance, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, where Emma Stone's character was just far more interesting to watch, even though they did try to to make 
Steve Carell's character interesting with his uh, dynamics with his family and, you know, exploring his gambling problems and so on and so forth. But just to me, it never rose to the same level as what they were doing with uh, with uh, Billie Jean King. I agree. That's interesting because I saw it on Friday and I really, really loved it. But it really wasn't until the second half of the movie where I fell head over heels for it because the first hour, it was very good, just not as involving as I would have hoped. But then once they turned to the actual match itself, that's when it really picked up for me. And then you have that final line from Alan coming, which was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, by the end, I was just like head over heels. See, I'm the opposite. I like the first half more than the second half because uh, once the husband uh, kind of I don't want to give spoilers away, but once there's a conflict that's kind of resolved uh, there and then we get to the match and you know going in who's going to win based on, you know, history, the film kind of loses its emotional stakes for me. And I didn't have a sense of drama, conflict, suspense, you know what I mean? For me, it was like after this terrible year since election night, it's like, this is just what I needed to see. That I totally understand. But it's very interesting because in my review with Tommy, I talked about how um, I could totally understand how this can be uplifting to some people. But for me, it all, it was like bittersweet and almost like, oh, this is what we could have had. This is like not what we got. And now I just feel so cynical and pessimistic and like narcissistic and all, all the worst things you could possibly think of right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked the end as well, but I almost liked it for different reasons. I think that um, that whole scene was interesting in terms of some of the subtle things that they were addressing related to gender, not not as much the overt stuff, but just like the little things like, what is that um, announcer or the uh, newscaster? Is it Cassell? I can't think of his yeah, name. Howard Sorry. Cassell. Yeah, th- that scene was crazy to me when he was like, bring you know, uh, Natalie Morales, he's like pulling her in in this really kind of gross, awkward way yeah. as she's commentating with him. And I was just watching that and my skin was crawling going, I would totally be swapping at that guy. Yeah. <laughs> just tell Get me this much. Me. Uh, I'm really curious right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, in terms of the film's Oscar potential, for me, I have it in right now for picture, actress, score, and song. Uh, does anyone disagree, agree? What do you guys think? Everything except score, which could happen. I just don't have it in the five. I almost feel like after the nomination last year for Moonlight and, you know, the score is good. I almost wonder if they're going to try and make him the new Thomas Newman in a way. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. once you're in the club with score, you're in the club and you just get nominations for everything you do. Right. Yeah, I guess it's just yet to be seen if he's actually in the club. Right, right, For right. one nomination. I haven't been right now. I got I got to see how oh, Phantom Thread, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I, I got to see how some of these other ones really. Uh, we got two John Williams coming up later this year. Mm. Yeah, I, I still have him getting in for one and not the other. Uh, I a dual nomination could definitely happen. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. So that, it's a very tricky category for sure. I mean, there's a lot of people who also think Hans Zimmer can get in for Dunkirk. I I, I don't know. Because I feel like that score is very suspense and action heavy, and they don't typically tend to go for something like that. And then, of course, there's Thomas Newman, who scored Victorian Abdul, and you just can't you just can't count that out after a nomination for Passengers last year, of all things. Even though that score right. on its own, opposite of the movie, is actually quite good. He gets in for everything: Passengers, Saving Mr. Banks, like yeah. you name it, he's there. Right, exactly, and he's not going to win, which is you know. The, sh- the shitty part of it all, I suppose. Right. Speaking of going to win, uh, reviews dropped this week for Blade Runner 2049. Uh, none of us have seen it yet, but everybody is praising and 
giving, uh, you know, all the prayers to whatever God they trust in that Roger Deakins gets his long overdue Oscar for this film because they're saying it's completely justified and it's one of the most beautiful, stunning films that they have ever seen. Are we prepared, even though we haven't seen the film, to kind of mark that down as almost a lock? I've got it in there. Um, It's been really funny. When I first heard this was coming out, I was really anticipating it when I went through sort of all the reboots of the year back in January, February. That was one of my uh, ones that I was the most excited about. And then it just, I kind of stopped thinking about it and stopped caring. And then now that there's all this buzz, I'm getting, I'm I'm like becoming a fangirl again. I actually (laughs) am just in the middle of watching the original. Unfortunately, I had never seen it before. I know there are people yelling at the podcast right now, but (laughs) I'm about halfway through watching it. And um, um, anyway, so I can't wait. And I think, um, based on everything I'm hearing, that it's going to make a nice play. Michael? So, I definitely have Roger Deakins in my lineup because he gets in for just about everything, except for Hail Caesar last year, which was crazy. Oh, that wasn't that amazing. Oh, that was some of the best work of his career, I'd say. Ugh. Anyway, uh, he probably should have won last year. Regardless, though, ju- talking about Blade Runner, uh, you know what? I just can't say if he's going to win or not because... Non-Best Picture nominees winning in cinematography is a very rare thing these last couple of years. What if this is Mad Max Fury Road of this year? And what if it does get in the picture? What if? Dude, have you seen V's reviews? But you got Denny. Between critics and Academy members. I was going to say, Denny's on a hot streak, fresh off his first nomination. Could be a double nominee in back-to-back years. We don't know. Maybe. But that's like a big... Big, maybe. I mean, I understand that right now, Best Picture is looking pretty stacked at the moment, but I tried something out today, and it made a lot of sense to me to, for me to do this. I took Mudbound out of Best Picture um, because Netflix, and I put Get Out back in instead, mm-hmm. but I don't feel good about it because... You know, the, the, the four films that I'm leaving off are Mudbound, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, and Blade Runner 2049. And of those, with the reviews and also not just, you know, because I, I don't just look at the tomato meter score. I usually go through the list to see, like, what their rating was out of five, if it's an A+, plus, if it's a, you know, 10 out of 10, et cetera, et cetera. I want to know, like, how much this is be- being praised. And then I went on Letterboxd and... The complete five star out of five stars that that film has compared to all the other scores that are possible. I mean, this is getting overwhelming uh, right. response. And this October release is definitely more prime than even what Mad Max Fury Road had. I- I'm, I'm, I'm considering it. Let me put it to you that way. I'm not writing it off. It could happen. Put it this way. It's in tier two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. But going back to Deacon's, uh, if this is a top-tier contender, then yes, I'd probably put him in for the win. It could very well happen because there's going to be a campaign to push for him to finally get that Oscar. Wait, wait, wait. Who do you have winning? Hoyt Van Hoytema. For Dunkirk? I do. Oh, God. That would be so crazy because I, I, I have him actually in number three behind uh, Bruno, uh, Bruno Delbanau for uh, Darkest Hour. He was also in the mix. I just don't think this race is done and done with Deacons. Mm. There's some really talented people in there who have a lot of respect in the industry. And if Dunkirk is this big Best Picture nominee, Best Director winner, I don't think we could count it out in a lot of these tech categories. Speaking of tech categories uh, for a minute here, um, I want to just take a moment to just talk about NYFF, uh, actually, because 
I did get a chance to see a couple of films right now. One film in just talking about tech categories that really, really comes to mind for me is Wonderstruck. Uh, Wonderstruck is a movie that would be probably one of my favorite films of the year if it was a short. The fact that it's two hours long, I think, is kind of ridiculous because the story is just so thin. But all of the technical achievements in this movie are fantastic. Editing, production design, costumes, the sound. I wasn't expecting sound to be so great. The sound is incredible. Well, Todd Haynes, you just got to expect the best with him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Carter Burwell's score for this movie, there, there are long stretches of the film where it plays out like a silent movie. And it's just Carter Burwell's score. I I have uh, Carter Burwell in number one right now for winning best original score at the moment. Um, behind uh, him is uh, The Shape of Water, Alexandre Desplat. Only because Carter Burwell, you know, just got his first nomination for Carol. He doesn't get nominated often. That's insane that he just got his first nomination. You go all the way back to Fargo with that guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's got a really incredible career, and it was one of those things where before he got that first nomination for Carol, people were like, why has not, like, what? How come this hasn't happened? <laughs> you know? Uh, but Wonderstruck, I think, is something that will contend in cinematography, score, sound, editing, but it's not going to show up in director, picture, or screenplay. Yeah, I think it's more of a tech thing. And we sort of knew that after Can when it got... Very good reviews, but not best picture level reviews, mm-hmm. which tends to be the case with Todd Haynes. I mean, he's a really well-respected director, but he is also an acquired taste. You either like his work or you don't really respond to it on an emotional level. I believe the word I kept hearing coming out of the screening was pretentious. Hmm. All right. Well, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I even heard that same thing with Carol, which I can't imagine anyone. I can't imagine that. I felt like Carol had something to say and was an actual... Uh, there were definitely detractors back then. Mm, I love Carol. Carol's fantastic. Do you like Carol, D? I do, yeah. In fact, I, I was thinking about Carol just after Battle of the Sexes a little bit, just in terms of sort of that um, relationship developing between two women and one of them being, you know, someone who was in a situation where it wasn't really viable and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I think there were a lot of comp- comparisons to those two. And I and I kept thinking I actually really liked the way Carol did that. I like I mean I, I liked what I saw last night, but I think I actually preferred the relationship development in Carol. You know, there's the uh, scene in Battle of the Sexes where um, she's cutting her hair, and mm-hmm. the whole scene is like shown in like extreme close-ups, and it's got Patel's like atmospheric score playing, and Emma Stone is just so vulnerable. Um, it's lovely. Oh God, isn't it just <laughs> fantastic? Woo. It is. Echoes to uh, Moonlight, Carol, and you know all all these other films. I, I mean, ugh, I really I like I, I the more I think about it, the more I like Battle of the Sexes. Um, and I I'm telling you, write that off as a Best Picture nominee at your own risk. I really do think that that film is going to play very well, especially on screener. That's something that you show the family over Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Yep. Right. Right. So even SAG. I mean, let's not write that off either. Wait for for SAG. Yeah. Mm, I don't know about SAG. You think? We'll see. I mean, you got people like Alan Cumming in there who's bounces back between TV and film. Bill Pullman. There's some favorites. I wouldn't uh, count it out. Sarah Silverman. Yeah. No, yeah. okay. That, that, that's one thing, I guess. Um, okay. One of the biggest things that's been debated over these last couple of days has been three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I've been hearing people talk about that this is our Best Picture winner, screenplay winner, 
uh, Rockwell or McDormand could win. I'm even hearing that Martin McDonough could get into Best Director. Uh, I know none of us have seen the film, but I, I, I'm one of those people that just does not see this as a Best Picture winner. I see it as Best Picture nominee, but for the life of me, you know, I've seen McDonough's other two films, Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. I can't see a film with that kind of uh, vulgar, dark humor being representative of a Best Picture winner. Yeah, but were those really audience movies? Because this one really seems to take people by storm at Toronto. I mean, you can make the argument that I don't. I don't know what you mean by audience film. What do you mean by that? Like something that really a big crowd pleaser, I should say. I mean, those films are crowd pleasing in the sense that they're entertaining. No, but I mean something that really gets an audience to like cheer along with it and leaves them feeling passionate about the movie when they leave the theater. Well, in Bruges, I, I, I know think what you're fans. thinking about here is that I think I think here's what here's my connection. I'm going to make. I think we're living in angry times right now. And this is a very angry movie, one that can allow an audience to really let out their emotions. And there's a connection that is established there. Is that what you're referring to? Not even that. I mean, that is true. But I saw reactions out of Toronto where people were like, oh, my God, I love that movie. I want to see it again right now. This is one of the best things I've seen this year in a way that they didn't exactly do with, uh, I don't know, Darkest Hour or something else that definitely got good reviews. But I definitely saw a lot of passion coming from three billboards and then you go back to something like in bruges yeah people like that movie and it has good reviews but if you look on something like metacritic and i think it's only in the 70s there yeah so nah, definitely this seems to be a lot more praise than his other two movies which is crazy to me because i i absolutely love in bruges so much uh this is where i'm sort of indifferent towards it yeah mm-hmm. and, and you i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take a wild guess and say you either haven't seen or hate seven psychopaths i've seen seven psychopaths i just again it's Sort of whatever for me. Okay. Well, which one do you like more, Seven Psychopaths or In Bruges? It's been so long since I've seen them, I really can't answer. It's oh, been come like, on. Give me an answer. I, I don't know. Maybe In Bruges. I, I really Good answer, Michael. I Moving on. nothing about these movies. <laughs> All right. Um, Wasn't there something with the dog in one of them? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, also... Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm like really, really all over the place right now. The conversation is just taking me everywhere. I'm going to tie it back to NYFF again into another film that I saw this week, and I am saying it right here, right now. I'm calling it. I don't think Last Flag Flying is getting a single Oscar nomination. Hmm. So, yeah, these were all over the place, uh, the reactions to Last Flag Flying. But I don't think it was like Billy Lynn from last year. No. That was a consensus that that was a bad movie. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is not Billy Lynn. This I gave it a 5 out of 10. Last Flag Flying, I, I'm very – this is the very definition of I, I don't know if I love it or hate it. I, I find things I like and things I don't like, and I can't decide one way or another. Billy Lynn was a movie I thought was just bad in general. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. It was but, horrible. <laughs> this movie, though, has good performances that actually range So, because there's different degrees of performances. Carell is very subdued. Um to the point where it's like he's like sedated almost. It, it, it's a pretty um, different performance than we've ever seen him give. And then the complete opposite of that is Brian Cranston, who's loud, who's over the top, who after a certain amount of time, just the character starts to become a little annoying, I felt like. Um, and it was, though, as if like Cranston was almost trying to save the movie in a way by just trying to be the most entertaining thing about it. He's doing Nicholson from The Last Detail. Not really. Um, 
he I mean, I, I guess you can draw those comparisons, but this is even more over the top than I think Nicholson would have done personally. Um, and then there's Lawrence Fishburne, who's kind of like in the middle and has the most grounded character of the three of them. And he's actually the performance I like the most, I think, because of that. So I think if you ask different people coming out of the movie, they'll say that they like um, somebody different because the performances just are just so different. But Linklater's direction of the film is where the film fails for me because that loose hangout style that he has in a lot of his movies I just doesn't I just don't feel it works here because I think the narrative is strong and it didn't really need to be a quote-unquote um loose hangout movie it really needed to be more structured and tight and something with a little bit more of a firm directorial stamp on it than anything and i think that's what people have uh, a problem see with. that's very funny because a lot of a lot of reactions that i saw that were very positive the people who love the movie said they loved it for that exact reason that you said you didn't like yeah like i said it's kind of all over the place um i i don't think there will ever be a consensus on this movie hmm. so where do they settle with Carell? is he in um lead or supporting. Corella's lead, Cranston okay. is supporting, which uh, because of the overtop nature of the performance, uh, leads me to think that he is probably the best contender for an Oscar nomination for best supporting actor. Sure, because yeah, that that lead stack is stacked. I was thinking Corell maybe in kind of conjunction with Battle of the Sexes for supporting, maybe, but yeah. it doesn't sound like there's any way. No, so. I, I think that. I can almost guarantee you Cranston is showing up probably at Golden Globes. Sure, okay. In comedy musical. I can almost guarantee you that. But lead actor at the Oscars this year is so paper thin. I think we we really have to look at Carell as a possibility. I don't think so at all. I think actor is a lot more stacked than we think no but i think but but the only reason why i have that perception though michael you got to remember this and and i and i got a lot of flack over uh film twitter about this is because i am not choosing to write off certain early contenders in the year and those contenders are don't say it hugh jackman for logan oh he said it and ah. andy circus for war for the planet of the apes wow Matt, okay i don't want to say right. you're crazy but you're sounding a little crazy i i i understand what you're saying but i also believe that Jeremy Renner for Wind River is also in contention. And I also will argue that James Franco for The Disaster Artist is also going to be in contention as well. I'm with you on both of those. I thought Renner was great in Wind River. In fact, I haven't liked him for a long time. I, I you know, loved Hurt Locker, loved the town, and thought he was going to be fantastic. And then I completely lost interest. But then he really, I thought he was great in Wind River. I could totally see it. Um, as far as Franco, I want him to be, I, I would love any love that that movie can get. And I am so excited to see it. <laughs> now, where do you weigh in on the Hugh Jackman for Logan, Andy Serkis for War for Planet of the Apes? You know, I, I, I really did like Logan at first watch. I have to say, I'm a big, hey, how does it sit up with me the second time kind of person. Um, I rewatched Logan and it lost steam for me. Um, and so that kind, I've kind of written it off a little bit. Um, I am. I haven't heard you guys talk much at all about the greatest showman and thinking that there's going to be any love there. Do, do you guys have a reason why we don't feel like that could be a contender for Jackman? That first trailer kind of didn't so- showcase Jackman in the way that I wanted and looked more like a, a tech song player more so than anything. Then again, the movie could come out and, you know, totally change that. But the trailer didn't do it any favors for me. 
Yeah, even me as like Mr. Musical here. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I saw that trailer and just got a little nervous because it seemed like it seemed like a really special episode of Glee ah, that was put okay. out in the movie theaters. But then I've been hearing just from like rumors on the internet, so take this all with a grain of salt. But I've heard that some people with production were not happy with that trailer because it wasn't representative of the movie they were making. Hmm. Like apparently the final result is a lot better than the trailer we saw in July. So again, all just rumor, but it might be something to consider Jack. Maybe there's a surprise in there. Yeah, I think either way, bad trailer equals to bad movie. I think he's in for Globes regardless. But uh, as for Oscars, I guess we'll have to wait until Christmas Day and see. Yeah. Yeah, That's one of of the other things I've been um, kind of weighing, obviously, because so many of these I haven't seen yet. But obviously, Get Out and Big Sick are the two that are in my head in terms of where they're and how they're going to be represented. Um, And I feel like really strongly that Big Sick will win the Golden Globe for the comedy category, probably over Get Out. But I think Get Out will probably get um, writing for Jordan Peele. I, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. And so because of that, I have this theory that Holly Hunter is going to get in for supporting actress. Yes. I don't know. Call me crazy. No, nope, that's nope, where I'm not at. crazy at all. If you're predicting Big Sick for picture screenplay, it makes complete sense for Holly Hunter to also be in there as well right now in your predictions. Or, or she could also end up as just the movie's single nomination. People really like her, and she has some great scenes in that movie. I so. would right. argue that the Big Sick screenplay is more secure than picture. Yeah. And I... I, I would actually argue I think the screenplay is more secure than Hunter. Hmm. So if you had to, if you like, just had to weigh on Big Sick or Get Out, you had to pick one or the other, which one do you think has more play? The Big Sick. Hmm. I don't For know. For Golden Globes or Oscars? Well, well, I think Golden Globes that Get Out could do really well. Oh, oh, oh. Well, if it's Golden Globes, um, Big Sick, I, I still pick, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but okay. I could see a scenario where Get Out gets an, uh, a, the screenplay nomination, like it actually gets in there with the adapted and original contenders, and uh, it also gets in for comedy musical. Um, I don't see Jordan Peele getting in for director, and I don't see Daniel Kaluuya getting in for actor. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I think uh, Big Sick does better at Globes, but Oscar, I think Get Out has a better chance, believe it or not. <sighs> I'm telling you, you're going to be so disappointed when it gets that lone screenplay nomination. What ca- so what categories for Oscar? Best picture, best screenplay. Huh. And possibly I'd best love. I mean, I'd love to see it. I, it's I would going to be lone screenplay. Come on. Let's okay, Mr. Hugh Jackman, Andy Serkis. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, we just talked a little bit about supporting actress there for a second. That, to me, is actually probably the thinnest category of them all. I think there's a lot more excitement there than actor. I mean, you have a few contenders there that... I don't think enough people are talking about, like Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. Who nobody seems to be talking about. Oh, I've seen her in a few predictions. Yeah, but I don't think that's indicative of, of them seeing the movie and predicting her. I, 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 uh, come on. You you really think? I, I, you really think? I, I have her in my five. Octavia Spencer. Uh, Miranda Richardson, I think, could get a push for Stronger. Mm, no, Tatiana Maslany is more Brooklyn likely. Pierce. I'm sorry, Brooklyn Prince from the Florida, Florida Project. That could happen, but that that little girl is lead in that movie. I've seen the movie, and she's the lead. Um, her mother, um, whose name is escaping me right now, I can't remember the actress's name, uh, she's the supporting player, if there is one. Hmm. I think this is where Lady Bird will get love, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lori Metcalf, I think, uh, gets in here. Unfortunately, I don't have Lady Bird getting any of her nominations. It's for me, number six in screenplay. 
Um, but I have Lori getting in now for supporting actress. And then there's Alice and Janney who might just win it all. I have yeah. Alice and Janney my number one. I moved Melissa Leo down finally. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely going to happen. And then I have Mary J. Blige in there yeah. to kind of round it all out. But other than Hong Chow um, and Tatiana Maslany, I, I don't think there are really any other contenders. We'll see. We thought that last year, too, and we had a nice round of category. Yeah, well, this is why I also think that if Mary J. Blige misses from Mudbound, I, I'm telling you, or Holly Hunter, or I think Lori Metcalf, Melissa Leo, and Allison Janney are probably safe. But those other two slots, I- I'm telling you, watch out for Tatiana Maslany for Stronger. Yeah, that could. Yeah, she really was great. If that movie sustains buzz, because it's not doing so well. No, it's not. And its only plays are really supporting actress and actor. I've even heard people kind of back off of Jake Gyllenhaal, like predicting him for actor because of the response to the movie. Um, I think those people are absolutely insane. <laughs> I think the narrative for Jake Gyllenhaal to get a second nomination is definitely out there. And... I mean, this is the kind of performance that if he does not get in for this, it's like you might as well never nominate him again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I have that locked in it, too. I have absolutely no doubt. Um, but as far as the movie as a whole, yeah, I think Tatiana is the only other possibility. It, You know, the movie is flawed, but there are some pretty um, brilliant scenes between the two of them, actually, that kind of make the movie, I think. And it's kind of in combination with each other that works the best. Now, Michael, I noticed that you and I, for supporting actor, we both have uh, Dustin Hoffman predicted for the Meyerwood stories. And I don't. That's you and Will. I, I lied. I apologize. I'm looking at the wrong column here. Um, I, I've seen the movie, and I believe wholeheartedly that that is the um, – how do I say it? The old veteran, you're good enough, and this is our way to reward the movie somewhere nomination. I would agree 100% if it weren't from Netflix. Yeah, but I... I'll believe it when I see it. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any Netflix nominations anywhere? Do you have Mudbound anywhere? Nope. So you don't have Mudbound anywhere. You don't have Mario Wood Stories anywhere. You don't have Okja anywhere. Like, so nothing anywhere. Just because I don't have faith in them to campaign the right way. I'm sure these are quality movies that are deserving of nominations. But I saw what happened after Idris Elba won a SAG Supporting Actor Award for Beasts of No Nations. And then that movie got nothing. Yeah. Damn. So I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, you just had to take me back to that. That was that was heartbreaking. That was that was rough. Yeah, they got to figure it out. Yeah, once Netflix can prove <laughs> that they can campaign, I'll be more than happy to predict these movies. But I, I don't buy it right now. They need to adopt the Amazon model. Yeah. Um, I still have Michael Stuhlbarg winning supporting actor for Call Me By Your Name, despite seeing Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project. I... I've I've heard so many people. I I think I I wrote something on Twitter that said Willem Dafoe is going to win unless uh, a miracle occurs from Michael Stuhlbarg. And then everybody kind of like who's seen the movie replied to my tweet and said he is a miracle. Yeah, but Michael Stuhlbarg is more of like a Viola Davis in doubt from what I understand. He has an amazing scene, but it's just that one scene. Yeah, but he is a known character actor who pops up in a lot of movies. People know who he is. Uh, I Which is good for a nomination, but a win, that's a little skeptical. Well, what do you think about the idea of Sam Rockwell winning for three billboards? I have him right behind Willem Dafoe. I have him third. I, I, I don't think any of the Shape of Water guys get in. Oh, I think Michael Shannon gets in. Yeah, but we've seen this kind of performance from Shannon before. But they love him. They love Michael Shannon. Do they? Oh, I guess they do. They nominated him for Nocturnal Animals last year, I suppose. Plus, he plays the over-the-top villain in this movie. All right, actress. 
I've been hearing from a lot of people, a lot, do not count out Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. I got her at eight. Yeah, I don't have her in my top five. I have her at seven. I am considering replacing Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes. I have have Emma in because of the honeymoon period after winning for La La Land. It makes sense. And she's been going around with Billie Jean King to all these events. Yeah, they're going to want that Yeah, no, and that's the kind of thing where you bring Billie Jean King to the Oscars and, you know, she gets like a a moment where everyone applauds for her. It, It seems like the sort of thing that would be done. You know what I mean? Um, same thing with Jake Gyllenhaal and bringing um, Bowman to the Oscars as well. Like that's like the sort of thing that, you know, when they had like Philomena and the real Captain Phillips at the event, you know, that like that that just sort of seems to happen. I feel like. Um, but I'm looking at my actress lineup. I have Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game, still winning. I have uh, Meryl Streep for The Post, Kate Winslet for Wonder Wheel, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes. I do not have Sally Hawkins. I do not have. Margot Robbie. I do not have. Um, I, I, I've heard people saying, "Freaking Jennifer Lawrence." Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people. So <laughs> careful there. You think? She, yes, I do. <laughs> um, I'll tell you. I have um, both Sally Hawkins and J Law in. I know that both of them have sort of kind of more subtle performances, but I don't know. I think that there's something to that right now. I have this kind of whole theory about all of these, you know prior um, Best Actress performances being rooted in some sort of biopic look at some strong woman who did something great, which is, trust me, I love all of that. I didn't, um, But at the same time, I think that some of the more nuanced performances um, are what are standing out to me right now, almost because they're a little bit different. Um, and Jayla and Mother, I, I'm a fan of the film. Um, and what I like about it the most is, is actually the way that I feel like she sort of embodies the kind of panic and frustration of, you know, the simple things in life and trying to maintain control of what you have and losing that control or feeling that somebody is trying to take it away from you in ways that don't feel fair. Um, and that it's not as valued as maybe some of the larger things that are happening around you. And I loved that theme of that movie. Um, and, and she, she brings it. I mean, she like following her around that movie and feeling her emotion is what made me love it. So, I'm, I'm rooting for her. I would love to see it happen. I think it's the best performance she's ever given. Agreed. And people like J Law. Yeah, I was going to say like, the Academy. They don't like I Mother. Think, is really desperate to make Jennifer Lawrence the new Meryl Streep. I, I can't, due to her age and how many nominations she already has. She has three nominations and one win already, and she's 27 years old. Mm. Yeah. Keep, like, keep that in mind. Like, I, I think she's going to get. A lot more nominations across her career, probably. That's crazy. Jennifer Lawrence was my age when she did Silver Linings Playbook. I, I just don't get that. What are you doing with your life? Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now I know how young Michael is. <laughs> <laughs> In the screenplay categories, um, we all have Call Me By Your Name winning. Yeah. Yes. I mean, how does that not happen for James Ivory? I think that that's a way to reward James Ivory, and it's also a way to reward the film um, and appease those who are really, really going to champion for it hard um, because I still stand by what I said before. They're not going to reward Moonlight and then call me by your name two years in a row. Just not going to happen. He's almost 90 years old. I, I mean... He's been nominated so many times before. I mean, yeah, no, he's he's a legend within the industry, and he's never gotten his due. That's just 
I mean, I, I don't see who else takes it. Molly's game. I mean, no, Aaron Sorkin uh, won for what is probably the crowning screenplay achievement of his career. They, they're not going to give him a second one like just like that. Darkest Hour, um, unless if it's winning picture, um, I can't see it happening. But then again, I've also heard it's moving to original. Yeah. Or staying put in original, we or, should say. Or, or is it staying in adapted? I, I don't know what's going on with that. It's an original. It is an original now? Yes. That is a terrible move. That's a terrible, terrible move. Um, because at that point, it becomes, you know, you look at original. I have The Post, Shape of Water, Get Out, The Big Sick, and three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And you're telling me Darkest Hour gets thrown in there, Lady Bird gets thrown in there, The Florida Project. Um, Wonder Wheel. Yeah. I mean, we, we still don't know. That's a big question mark right now. I haven't seen that, but that'll be screening next week. At if it's good Woody Allen, you know. I- I did see, though, it looks like Amazon picked it up and is also going to do the distribution, right? Which is yeah. sort of new that they're doing their own distribution. Yes, I think it's their, their second release under that model. Hmm. But it shouldn't be a big problem for them because they're sort of used to doing similar with the Big Sick and other movies like that. Right. Or Manchester by the Sea. I mean, at this point, I almost want, um, I almost want the poster. <clears throat> excuse me. I almost want the post or Phantom Thread to just fail uh, because I, 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 I can't find room for many of these contenders. I know. I'm not rooting for the post, and I don't know why, but I'm not. I'm so disappointed now. <laughs> <laughs> you went from being best friends to being disappointed one another. It's, it's going to be okay. I'll find my <laughs> way back. <laughs> uh, Phantom Thread I don't think is going to do very well. Yeah, I outside of costumes and Daniel Day-Lewis, I don't have it in anything else right now. Even Day-Lewis? I mean, we don't know anything about this necessarily. We know that it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay, well, nine was also Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel so. Day-Lewis is the kind of actor that no matter what he has his name tied to, you have to throw it in your early predictions. It's like the same thing that we did with Leonardo DiCaprio. No matter what project it was, it was like, all right, we need to put Leonardo DiCaprio down in our early predictions. You know, you just you just don't know, but you know that the name carries a level of prestige with it. So outside of nine. Best director. We still have Christopher Nolan winning. I do. I. (laughs) Okay, so this is me. My heart wants Guillermo, but um, I know Nolan will probably win. Um, I have Dunkirk, too. This is another one for me that I have some. A little bit of issue with. I feel completely good about a director nod and a director win. I feel good about the technical categories. I struggle with it for Best Picture because of what I feel like is just a glaring lack of story. And I mean, to me, for me, my Best Picture winner needs to have all of those things. And I think the story element in that movie fell short for me. So I am just not highly supportive of it for any sort of win in the Best Picture category. But I have no problem with Nolan overall for it. Um, But my my underdog would be rooting for Guillermo. I think he stands a chance. I mean, he is really beloved and he's been going around just pleasing fans after screenings in the movie. He even brought mm-hmm. his Q&A outside a Telluride when they had to give up the theater. I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, he's just, there's just a likability factor. He posted something kind of recently 
on Twitter too that I just resonated with me. It was around criticism and, you know, kind of with everything that's going on right now, spending more time maybe talking about the things we love instead of um, ripping on all the things we don't. And I don't know, I kind of liked it from where we are right now. And so um, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm digging him. I, I have this funny thing with Shape of Water that I just want to be completely surprised. So every single time, including last night when I saw Battle of the Sexes, when the trailer comes on, I either leave the theater or hide underneath my jacket because I refuse to watch the trailer because I want to be completely surprised. I want to see it all for the first time when I finally get to see this movie. I just did something a little risky, but I feel pretty good about it right now, and Michael's going to roll his eyes at me, but I just took Luca Luca Guadagnino out of Best Director, and I put Denny Villeneuve in. Hmm. I don't think that's a huge stretch. And I also put Blade Runner 2049 into Best Picture. In Best Picture, yeah. Maybe. Just based on the strength of these reviews right now, it, it just seems very easy for me to just play around with the picks in the meantime. Well, now's the time for doing that. See, if I were going to take Luca out of my best director predictions at the moment, I would replace him with Martin McDonough. Yes. You know, that's not a bad move either. If the film, because three billboards is a lot like Blade Runner. There's a select people that have seen it and those select people are raving and loving about it, but we don't know how it's going to play on a larger scale. And also too, um, how that's going to play for the Academy. Uh, D I don't know if you know this, but, uh, Michael is like our surrogate Academy stand in, um, because he has the mind of like a 65 year old man. <laughs> I'm a senior trapped in the body of a 22 year old. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's impressive. I was actually very intimidated today. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, my recall is, is not up to par, but um, luckily you guys have this brilliant website that really helps. <laughs> yeah. I really, really appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Thank you so yeah. much. After going through all the categories right now um, and seeing where things currently stand at the moment with our thoughts on a lot of these, I want to now just move over into last week's poll results and then also talk about this week's poll. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how <laughs> it works. So last week's poll asked everybody, which is your favorite female-led sports movie? And we got quite a lot of votes in here. And the choices were Bend It Like Beckham, Bring It On, Ice Princess, A League of Their Own, Little Giants, Love and Basketball, Million Dollar Baby, the next karate kid, she's the man, whip it, and we also had a write-in option as well. Can anyone guess what came in at number one with 33.33% of the vote? Absolutely, it's got to be a leak of their own. That's what I'm going to say, even though I thought it would be Million Dollar Baby, this being an Oscar podcast. And the answer is a leak of their own. This is a nostalgia category. In many ways, yes, I can totally understand that. (laughs) 
I guess I've got a Sea League of their own now. <gasps> oh my gosh! Yes, you do. I know. I, I'm sure I'll love it. It's just <laughs> one of those things that you know I missed for whatever reason. I, Michael, you got to get on that, and I'm, and I'm really surprised, actually. I know this. This seems like a real Schwartz movie. Yeah, it is actually. <laughs> you'll you'll love it. <laughs> Million Dollar Baby came in second place with twenty five point seventy six percent of the vote. And in third place was Bend It Like Beckham with 15.15%. Uh, the write-in options were uh, Personal Best, which I've never heard of, Offside, and Stick It. I, I, hmm. I, I remember. I don't know any of those. Yeah, I remember um, Stick It. There's a, a couple's ice skating movie called In the Cut, I remember, that I would probably write in as an option there. And again, it's not a great movie, just for nostalgia reasons. Yeah, <laughs> um, I hear you on It's that an one. interesting category. There's not a lot of really strong contenders in there. No, and you know, I talked about this last week about how disappointed I was when putting the poll together and how few female-led sports films there are. There seems like there should be a lot more, especially in today's um, culture. I, I, I feel that if they made... A sports film the same way they do for men but did it with women i think that that movie would ignite the box office on fire i agree let's do it yeah let's guys let's write the screenplay <laughs> tonight let's do it all right this week's poll this week's poll is setting up blade runner 2049 and it asks if you could give an academy award to blade runner in 1982 what would it have been and the options literally go from best picture through every single eligible category. So if you could give Blade Runner one Oscar in 1982, what would you give it? I got to finish it first. I've never seen Blade Runner. <laughs> Michael, are you going to see it before the sequel? Do I need to? I, I think you should just... People are saying you need to, yeah. Yeah, I, I, but, right. uh, well, let me rephrase that. I've heard people say you don't have to. But I've heard people say you should because it makes the second one better. Um, if not- I have time, I will try to watch the director's cut. Can't make any promises. It's a busy week, but uh, I will see. Yes, and I think that is the, the version you should check out, either the director's cut or the final cut. I have the final cut on Blu-ray, and I'm planning to watch it this week, actually. Um, for me, though, I would say I would give it um, – I'd give it cinematography. Mm-hmm. I think the lighting in, in that movie is just so great for um, its era and its time period. And it, I just think it looks stunningly beautiful every time I look at it. Even if the narrative is kind of cold and thin, um, visually, that movie is just wow. Agreed. <laughs> From what I've seen. But I can't answer you yet. I got to wait. That's true. Um, what do you think <laughs> of uh, Vangelis's score so far in the movie? Really good, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. another area where I would probably throw it a bone. Isn't it crazy that Vangelis is known for Chariots of Fire, Blade Runner, and that's kind of like it? I mean, he won the Oscar for Chariots of Fire, and then he did the music for Blade Runner, and he kind of just went away. Huh. But did he really go away? What like you're gonna have to help me out. What other things has he done that maybe he wasn't recognized? For? I think like I think he did 1942, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, I feel like I. Why do I feel like Michael probably knows this better than I do? Oh, I really, I'm looking it up for right now. I had no idea about his work. I didn't, yeah, I didn't either. That's why. But, that, but that's the thing, silence. though. It's like it's amazing <laughs> to me that this guy like had this run uh, in the '80s. Yeah, he did. He did. Oh, I just said I said 1942. 1492 is what I meant to say. Oh, uh, he did the music funny. from Missing as well. 
you look up his IMDb page, and almost everything is listed as the Chariots of Fire theme used in other movies. <laughs> it's like Madagascar, Bruce Almighty, Fiction Fiction, Collateral. <laughs> right. Oh my god. He's working off of those royalties for the rest of his career. Yeah, no wonder he hasn't worked that much. Uh, looks like his last big movie that he did a score for was uh, Alexander in 2004, the Oliver Stone movie. Michael, I'm not saying that you'll love the movie. I to tell you the truth, I don't think you will, but... I, I really do urge you to watch Blade Runner uh, before you see the sequel, only because it is a cultural uh, landmark film. I've already got around to it. I, I know I probably should see it. Yeah. And it is a true sequel, right? Uh, yes, from what I understand. Okay. Okay, and you can vote for that poll on nextbestpicture.com right now. It is currently live at the moment, so by all means, feel free to cast your vote there. Uh, we also have a trailer to review first, but before we do that, let's talk about some of the fan questions that we received this week from some folks. We got some good ones to go through. Josh Parham on Twitter asks, what past prediction are you most proud for having gotten right at the Oscars? Mine was for correctly predicting Michael Shannon getting in for Revolutionary Road. Oh my gosh. I got to think back to other Oscar ceremonies. I know, now. I do too. Now, so here's what I will do. Um, I will, I will say that this, even though I didn't get this right, I predicted La La Land. I will forever, forever, forever hold my head high for not giving up on Moonlight, even when Michael and Will told me to do so so many times last season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you called that, and I told you you were crazy. So. It, and it was weird though because like I remember uh, it was just a it was like a gut feeling I re- literally all the stats said pick La La Land because it won PGA won DGA won BAFTA won Golden Globe it won everything you know won Critics Choice so there was nothing that said to me that you should pick Moonlight because Moonlight lost SAG it like it, it, all it had was Golden Globe and WGA that was it you know so I mean. But it's weird, though, because I actually didn't pick it. I did pick La La Land to win in the end. (laughs) You know? So uh, I guess I can't really count that one. Um, I don't know. I feel like back in 2009, um, I wasn't really as plugged in into the internet. I I wasn't on Twitter or anything like that, so I really didn't know what the conversation was. But I remember uh, sticking with the Hurt Locker from the time that I saw it in the summer all season long i never ever ever switched to avatar or anything else i had hurt locker in number one the whole way through Hmm. yeah this one's a hard one for me to remember i you know the one thing i would just say is i did get to see manchester really early last year and it i i was rooting for casey affleck from affleck from day one so um that one was exciting for me um but the other thing this is not oscar related that i was really excited about this summer is i participated in this uh, summer box office movie um type of you know poll type of thing where we picked our picks at the beginning of the year and my dark horse was girls trip i believed in that movie and it actually ended up being number 10 at the box office for the summer i was very proud (laughs) <laughs> that, that movie did extremely well. Oh uh, my god, it's so funny! It's great. Extremely well and incre- incredibly. Um, there's a pun in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other Oscar picks that kind of came out of nowhere. It's weird. I I feel like I always remember these, and then when the time comes where somebody that you know asks me the question, I definitely do not remember anything else. Maybe that's because we're not egomaniacs. 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We don't have to be right all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm just trying to think of like a surprise win that I correctly predicted. Um, even though I didn't predict him at the very end, I always thought Mark Rylance had a shot of winning, even when everyone was on the Stallone train. Oh, I know I was. And I'm so glad that he did win, because that was probably one of my favorite performances of the decade. Much better than Dunkirk. He's great. I, I mean, I, cor- I correctly predicted the 12 Years a Slave gravity split. I predicted... I predicted the Argo Best Picture win, even though some people were still going with uh, Lincoln or Life of Pi. But these aren't like surprise wins that I just so happen to get right. Um, I remember I got Christoph Waltz wrong. I was predicting Tommy Lee Jones that year. I didn't predict her, but I always thought that Jackie Weaver stood a chance to be nominated. That when she was for uh, Silver Linings Playbook... Yeah, I wasn't as stunned as everyone else. I was more happy that it actually happened. Count me as one of the people that were stunned. Wait, who, who was stunned? I couldn't. I could not believe that. Oh yeah, I was. I was totally shocked. Well, I'll tell you why, and this goes back to where I live actually, because I've said it a million times. Silver Lang's playbook was filmed right around my neighborhood, and she's playing a character who is like so representative of the typical person that lives around here. She nailed it perfectly. Not that Academy members would know that, but it's like she's actually giving. A performance that's more complex than the average person would think. Hmm. Alrighty. Cool. Let's move over to our next fan question here. Uh, which of the two actresses playing supportive wives of disabled people do you think gets an Oscar nomination? Claire Foy or Tatiana Maslany? This comes from Film Guy 619. Neither. <laughs> Come on. All Neither. right. Well, who do you have, who do you have ranked anyone. higher? Maslany. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I, I have, I have Miss Lonnie. But they're in different categories. Uh, no, uh, Claire Foy is uh, apparently going supporting. Is she? Yep, I just found this out last night. Oh, okay. Well, I still have Miss Lonnie higher, so. Yeah. And I love this question. This comes from Cinema Paradox on Twitter. How often is the Best Picture winner uh, all, that it also happens to be your number one film of that year? When was the last time that they lined up? <laughs> last year. Well, no, not quite. <laughs> it was for two minutes, but uh, you know what? We made this joke earlier that I'm the typical Oscar voter, so I think it happens to me more often than a lot of people that you find on the Twitter universe. Uh, I want the two of you to answer before me. Twelve years a slave. What about you, D? Uh, you know what? I, I very rarely, and even last year, I missed. I was just kidding. Obviously, I had Moonlight High, but not number one. Um, no, usually, I when it comes to my own list, I totally let my personal bias play into that and things that resonate with me. And so, because of that, sometimes, uh, most of the time, I think I end up going with something that maybe isn't the universal choice. But it's all right. That's my list. I'm allowed. Yeah, we're all entitled to our own <laughs> opinions. It's funny. You know what was amazing? That that three-year stretch for me, actually, was probably the best three-year stretch ever for uh, No Country for All Men, Slumdog Millionaire, and The Hurt Locker, because those three films were my number one favorite films of their respective years. Hmm. So it's funny. Uh, looking through the Best Picture winners and seeing where they match up, in the 60s, you have things like The Apartment, West Side Story, Sound of Music, uh, Midnight Cowboy... All that, it's happened so much more in those earlier decades that when we get into the 2000s, it doesn't happen as as much for me that uh, actually when I say the most recent time that it happened, I know a lot of people on the internet are going to be very angry. 
I don't really care though, but it was the King's Speech. Ah! The most re- the most recent for me would be Shakespeare in Love. Ah! Wow, that, that's a great one too. Damn, that's, See? that's going. <laughs> Are you losing really, your really mind? Far back. Yeah, that's 1998. <laughs> that's wild. It's funny. Of the nominees, I would probably pick Shakespeare in Love only because my favorite movie of that year, Primary Colors, wasn't nominated. Hmm. But uh, I mean, there have been some great wins recently. Spotlight was my number three of its year. But if we're just talking number one, it hasn't been since uh, The King's Speech. When was the last time a film won Best Picture that you guys absolutely hated? I've never hated a Best Picture winner. I mean, I kind of have to say Crash, I, I think. Crash is a fine movie. It's just not Best Picture material. It doesn't hold up. At the time, I liked it, though, admittedly. Well, because that was a very weak year, I think, in general. So you just compare it to a lot of the other stuff that came out that year. And yeah, it, it could place in somebody's top ten, I'm sure. I mean, my least favorite Best Picture winner would be, like, Tom Jones or Cimarron. Yeah, I wasn't into The Artist, either. The Artist I was into the year it came out, and that is a film that I rewatched uh, this year, and it does not hold up. Technically hmm. speaking, while watching it, it has that nostalgic feeling, and it um, definitely has a lot of charm to it, but... Yeah, that's a very, very light movie that does not reward uh, repeat viewings. How does it not hold up? It basically feels like a movie that was made in the 20s. I just don't see why you would want to go back and rewatch that movie. Like, what are you going to take away from it on a rewatch that you didn't take away from it before? For charm and delight. But what are you going to get it? What are you going to get out of it that you did not get out of it before? You're always going to get the charm and delight. See, this is the this is the difference between the way you watch movies and the way I watch movies. You watch to analyze and find something new every time. I watch just to enjoy myself. Well, and that's why you're a critic and I'm not. Good for you, I suppose. All right. Cool. Thank you everyone for sending your fan questions this week. We once again met our quota of Michael reminding us that he's not a film critic. <laughs> which happens almost every other podcast. But in any event, though, trailer. Trailer for this week. Let's look to the future. We have Alex Garland's new film starring Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, and a few others. It is the follow-up to Ex Machina called Annihilation. Let's check out this trailer. Can you describe its form? No. Was it carbon-based? Did it communicate with you? It reacted to me. You really have no idea what it was. Did your husband contact you at any point while he was away? No. It was his decision to go in. Why did my husband volunteer for a suicide mission? You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. I need to know what's inside. I could save him. Okay, so we know that this film did not test well. We know that the release date got moved, and we know now that it's coming out in, was it February? February 28th? Yes. Right before next year's Oscars. Yeah, it's not really a good slot, if you ask me, to be in. Um, It shows a lack of confidence from the studio. 
and I could tell just by looking at the trailers, while it does look visually pleasing, I cannot see how the film kind of comes together on a story level, and I just... I agree. Have either of you read the source material? No. No, I haven't either. Yeah, I don't think it looks so great. Yeah, I don't really see anything about it that, like I said, other than the visuals, that strikes me. I agree. Like, why, why, why should I be excited about this movie? And even with Alex Garland, I know some people say that, like, it's a great thing. I wasn't a big Ex Machina fan, and I know other people loved it. He's, like, one of these people, like, if you're into what he's doing, I guess there's a reason to be excited. But for those of us who need convincing, this didn't really do much of that. I agree. Here's the thing with Alex Garland. Alex Garland does not know how to end his movies. Every movie that I've seen him write, I just think they have terrible, terrible endings. Like 28 Days Later, Sunshine, uh, Ex Machina even. I I was not Mm -hmm. a fan of that ending at all. So I I just don't have the vote of confidence that I probably should, even though while I enjoyed Ex Machina, it was a film that that ending kind of just undid everything for me and really, really upset me. I'm in agreement. And didn't I see, I think he was a writer on the beach too, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie. No, 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 no. Um, Am I thinking of something else? Yeah, he wasn't a writer on the beach. He was uh, the writer for uh, Never Let Me Go. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah, um, I I was, I enjoyed Ex Machina. One watch didn't even make my top 10. Um, My husband, it was like, I think in his number one or two of the year. So we had a lot of arguments about that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it, it was great. It was fine. Um, but it, it certainly, you know, doesn't give me any level of anticipation outside of just, you know, let's see what this movie can do for us. I mean, Tessa Thompson is in this, which gets me excited because I yeah. really, really loved her in, um, uh, uh, was it Creed. Creed? Creed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then Gina Rodriguez. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great women in this. And then, of course, Oscar Isaac. It's nothing against the actors. It's just... I don't care about this sci-fi adventure, whatever you want to call it. Well, it's a, bi- a, a biologist's husband disappears. She puts her name forward for an expedition into an environmental disaster zone, but does not quite find what she's expecting. The expedition team is made up of the biologist, an anthropologist, a psychologist, and a surveyor. So I don't even think that this is going to be like sci-fi action, um, if anything, I think it's going to be like Ex Machina where it's like sci-fi but asks a lot of questions. And I, just based on what I've been hearing at these test screenings, I've heard that it reaches too far and doesn't quite fully come together and ends up becoming quite a mess. So we'll go for the visuals. Yeah, let's go with visuals. If anything, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be the uh, the um, a cure for wellness of 2018, right. <laughs> which also came out in the same release spot and also had uh, some striking visuals. But yeah, that movie was a turd. Overall, okay, Matt. I have to ask you a question before we wrap up. I wonder if the reason that you are an Oscar fan is because your birthday happens to fall on the same week that the Oscars usually happen. Because I too <laughs> share February twenty fourth as a birthday. Get out of here! <laughs> yes. Wow. Sorry, I was Twitter stalking you, but yeah. So I'm wondering if there's something to be said for Oscar love and having the award ceremony fall on your birthday week. 
it, it has something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> something funny was in the stars that year. Um, you know, it's really funny. Actually, the real reason why I got into the Oscars is because my favorite movie of all time was The Lord of the Rings. And when I was 13 years old, I was watching the 2003 uh, ceremony uh, or 2004 ceremony, rather. And Lord of the Rings Return of the King swept. And it was like the happiest, greatest thing of my life to see my favorite movie win so much. And that is when I started following the Oscars at the age of 13, 14 years old. Hmm. Every single year since I watched the ceremony and I wanted to know everything about the movies. And even when I wasn't allowed to watch certain movies, I still found a way to watch them on DVD or whatever the case may be. I snuck into movie theaters. Um yeah, no, that was definitely during my phase. I, I would say I started getting interested in film when I was about 11 years old. And from 11 to 13, I was watching um, uh, a, a lot of various different things, but, you know, nothing like hard, like no hard R movies or anything like that. Like I was watching things like, you know, Star Wars, Jurassic Park and stuff that you tend to watch when you're like a kid, I guess. But um, I was also branching out and watching other things, too. Like I was watching like Titanic um, I don't know anything that was PG thirteen at the time, and then after the Lord of the Rings won, um, and I started like just really, really like getting into like things like Quentin Tarantino, David Fincher, and you know Paul Thomas Anderson, and you know I would say from age thirteen up until the time I was in college was when I became like obsessed. I started like watching everything on the IMDb top two fifty, and I started, you know, just building up this crazy movie collection that I now have. And yeah, story of my life. Lord of the Rings. Greatest movie ever. Alrighty. Let's get out of here, people. Uh, But before we do get out of here, uh, Deanne, is there anything that you want to bring up or any questions or anything like that at all? No, not really. I just thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Um, Find me on Twitter. I love talking about movies and that's it. Excellent. Michael, anything from you? Yes, I would just like to send out birthday wishes today as we record this to, J- to Dame Julie Andrews. Wow. And how old is Dame <laughs> Julie Andrews today? She is 82 today, Aww. which is crazy because I feel like she will always be Mary Poppins or Maria. So my favorite film of all time is Lord of the Rings. Michael's favorite film, I think, of all time is Mary Poppins. Is that correct? It's, uh, Mary Poppins. it's right up there. My favorite films. So see, I alternate between sound of music and the producers how are you feeling about the mary poppins remake on its way i am very excited for that okay. i actually really like what rob marshall does with musicals even nine i like a lot so i hope he uh adds his touch to this while keeping the charm of the original movie i love that dick van dyke is coming back yeah it's gonna be fun and uh so love julie andrews she's uh someone i grew up with and helped shape my love of both broadway and film i mean you have Mary Poppins on the music, Victor Victoria, My Fair Lady on Broadway, just an absolute legend and an Oscar winner, too. So that's why I wanted to bring her up. Happy birthday, Julie. We love you. <laughs> All right, Michael, where can I find you on the Internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. And Deanne, why don't you tell all of our wonderful listeners where they can find you on the internet? At TweedledeeD33. <laughs> that's D-E-E-D-E-E 33. Oh, that's awesome. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 58 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. 
Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We would most certainly appreciate it. And we will, as always, see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.